Our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to go ahead and turn there as we continue thinking about what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus and especially what it means to be just like Jesus. I've entitled this message Just Like Jesus because Jesus is, in fact, the preferred vision for our lives. As we think about what it means to be like him, Jesus is the focus of discipleship. He's the focus of our lives. And I think that spiritual formation through biblical discipleship is the polar opposite of what we see in consumer Christianity. Now, I speak from time to time about consumer Christianity because I think it is a very real temptation and a challenge for us in the West and in North America because we begin to think about our faith as a commodity to be consumed or something that is convenient to us rather than a life to be lived, and we don't pursue discipleship as much as we sometimes should. And Tony Wolf defined consumer Christianity as the Americanized brand of an extra-biblical gospel with self at the center. He said the come-and-see model of ministry that we've developed over the past 100 years has had the effect of producing several generations of Christians who assume that the church is about them and because of them. And as a result, churches work hard at having the best music and the most dynamic leaders and the most comfortable facilities and the coolest ministries. And there ends up being a lot of pressure toward these expectations. And people are lured into the temptation to treat Jesus like something that exists to satisfy our whims or what our personal preferences are. Now, admittedly, it's fairly easy to entertain people and to focus on self-empowerment. Sometimes we're drawn into that mindset where we think it's more important to be served than to serve, or we become entitled rather than living a life of being grateful, or we become critics rather than living as contributors. And Richard Halverson wrote something interesting along the lines of how we got in this position to begin with. He said, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Matt Reynolds wrote a piece entitled The Death Rattle of Consumer Christianity, and he said, the time for reckoning has come. The consumer-oriented version of Christianity that has dominated much of North America is finally seeing a needful death. He said, declining worship attendance, church closures, warring megachurch personalities, constant scandals, and other factors have sounded that death rattle in recent years. And the consumeristic approach that we've taken to church life is collapsing for one reason, because it lacks a proper foundation. The antidote to all of this is biblical faith. It is a faith anchored in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, and a faith that is focused on becoming just like Jesus. So how can we become just like Jesus in spiritual formation that is focused on biblical discipleship and not fall into this trap of consumer Christianity. The Apostle Paul founded the church at Corinth, and after he left there, he began to hear some things 
that were coming out of the church that were quite concerning to him. He heard that the church had sin in their ranks that was rampant. He heard that uh, there was partiality that had taken hold. So people were following after certain leaders and they're lining themselves up in certain factions and they were not focusing on Christ as they should. Some of them were using their spiritual gifts very pridefully and in a way that was drawing attention to themselves rather than attention to the Lord. They were confused over some key doctrines. And Paul, having such a concern for the church, wrote back to them to address these very issues, to call them back to the right foundation, to bring them back to the essentials of their faith, and also to unify them in Christ rather than being in these uh, camps that they were aligning themselves in. And then in 2 Corinthians, he built on that. He encouraged them in their generosity. He actually had to address his own apostleship because that had been under attack and he vindicated himself to a degree. And I want to focus on the statement that Paul made to the church in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. And then for the remainder of the sermon, build on that and draw from First and Second Corinthians how we can be just like Jesus. And I want to give you just a little bit of context also about this verse that I'm about to read because in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, he's addressing some lessons that should be learned from what Israel went through. And then he hits head on the issue of idolatry and how we need to avoid idolatry and stay away from it. And then he speaks to the issue of Christian liberty. Uh, there was the issue of meat that had been offered to idols that was then being sold in the marketplace. The church was asking the question as to whether or not they could buy this meat and they could consume it in good conscience. And he's laying the groundwork for that, telling them about the Christian liberty that they have. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. He makes the statement in context of the words he had spoken leading up to that, but it's a broader statement as well of what the focus of our lives should be. Paul was a man who was committed to following Jesus, and he knew that the church needed good examples of people who were also following Jesus, and they needed some examples to follow after, and he was willing to be one. So he told Timothy, for example, in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity. He instructed the believers at Ephesus in Ephesians 5 and verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. This word imitate is an important one. It's translated also as imitators or followers in some versions. The root word of it is the word mimic. And we know what it means to mimic somebody. Uh, sometimes we think about that in a negative uh, perspective. If you're mimicking somebody, you might actually be mocking someone, depending on what the circumstance is. But this is all good here. This is all positive. It, it carries the positive idea of mimicking what is good, of following after what is good. And Paul is saying, listen, we need to imitate Jesus. Our lives need to be modeled after him because Jesus is the ultimate example and then the church needs some examples of people who are imitating him so they can see what that is like in flesh and blood in real time. What is this Christian faith all about? And they can follow the same example. And I'm going to ask and answer three questions in these few moments that we have together. 
about how to imitate Jesus and to be just like him. Question number one, what is your pursuit? What is your pursuit? Now, the word pursuit is a strong word. It means to go after something. It's not a casual, convenient effort, but it is a pursuing of something with your entire being. It's with your whole heart, striving toward. Your life's pursuit is going to shape your values. It's going to impact your motivations. It's going to direct your behavior. It's going to set your goals. And ultimately, it's going to determine your direction both now and eternally. And it is the path that we seek personal fulfillment through. Everybody's pursuing something, but everybody's not pursuing Christ. Some people are trying to find that personal fulfillment through other people, through relationships. They're trying to find it through uh, power or prominence that they might have in the world. Some people try to do it through collecting possessions and they try to find their fulfillment in that. Other people are seeking after pleasure in the experiences of life because they don't think they have enough or are experiencing enough and their pursuit becomes about all these other things other than Christ. The Apostle Paul, redeemed by Christ, had one pursuit. If you heard him in Corinth or Antioch in Pisidia, or Ephesus, or Athens, or Thessalonica, or Greece, or Rome, you would have heard one message. And that one message that was the driving force, the driving pursuit behind everything else that the Apostle Paul did was the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1 and following says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, remember Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, He says, I did not come to you with brilliance of speech or wisdom. And then he says this, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. He didn't come with eloquence. He didn't try to approach them and overwhelm them with superior wisdom like the Greek philosophers of the day would have done. He didn't try to overwhelm them with rhetoric or uh, something that was of his own making. And after all, Paul could have done this if he wanted to. He could have shown off his intellect with eloquence had he chosen to. He was trained to do so under the rabbi Gamaliel. He had been trained by the best but he indicated that he made a decision to approach them in the way that he did. And this is a statement of emphasis. Of course, Paul taught them all sorts of things besides this. Uh, But what he was saying was, in my life, in my preaching, in my missionary work, the focal point of it all is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the point of it all. Everything Everything else that I've got to teach you, everything else that I've got to say, it is all focused on Christ and him crucified. The reason this is so important is that Jesus and him crucified is where our justification comes from. That's why we can be forgiven. That's why we can stand in a right relationship with the God who created us. 
It's so important because that's where our sanctification comes from. That's how we can grow in him is because Christ has been crucified and now he lives again. And the spirit of God indwells us through faith and we can be sanctified and made more like Jesus. And the reason that one day we're going to be glorified is because of Christ and him crucified because what he has accomplished for us. So the method of Paul was bold. The message of Paul was clear The motive of Paul was so that their faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I don't think we need to miss this point here because it is a temptation today in the church for us to rest on all sorts of things for our own comfort and convenience rather than on Christ and him crucified. As the psalmist said in Psalm 63 in verse 8, I follow close to you and your right hand holds on to me. I say to you today that to pursue Jesus is to follow him closely. It's the idea of being glued together, of adhering to, of being united with in a strong affection. I love the writings of A.W. Tozer and he wrote quite a bit actually about the pursuit of God and God's pursuit of man and those were kind of his foundational works and then everything else he did flowed out of that as a preacher but he said this he said to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love he said what I am anxious to see in Christian believers is a beautiful paradox I want to see in them the joy of finding God while at the same time they are blessedly pursuing him I want to see in them the the great joy of having God yet always wanting him. What is your pursuit in life? What really matters to you? What what is the driving motivation behind why you live as you do? Is it self or is it God's plan for your life and the pursuit of what he wants for you? I'll tell you that if you pursue self and you try to find fulfillment in other things, I assure you, you will never find it now or eternally. It can't be found. Look at the world. The world has so many things to offer. There's so many people that seem like they have it all, as we might say, but yet there's a lack of fulfillment. Why is that? Because our souls are intended to be conformed to the image of Jesus And anything less than that is not going to satisfy us unless we're living life with God. And if you want to be like Jesus, then your pursuit ought to be Christ and him crucified. Question number two, what is your priority? Now, Paul continued his argument in 1 Corinthians 2, and he made it clear that the unregenerate person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. And here's why. Spiritual things seem foolish when you're lost. They don't make sense. Not only does the unregenerate person not understand the things of God and it seems foolish to them, but they also don't want the things of the Spirit of God. The unregenerate person doesn't understand the things of God because there's a veil over their hearts. They're blinded, by the Bible says, by the God of this age. And they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And it's only through faith in him that the priority of life changes. Now, all of us have a pursuit, 
And all of us also have a priority which flows downstream to everything that we do in our lives. But when we get saved and the Spirit of God indwells us, everything changes. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 says, For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul was quoting from Isaiah 40 and verse 13. And what he does is he contrasts the mind of Christ with the wisdom of man. The mind of Christ is is impossible for us to know when we're lost, but it is revealed to us when we are saved. And all believers have the mind of Christ. This is not for some special class of Christians. This is not for the super spiritual. This is not for some type of Gnostic understanding of the faith where you reach the next level and then maybe you'll have this. No, this is available for all. Christ shed his blood and he died and he rose again and he offers himself to us through faith. And when we exercise faith in him and we turn from our sins and we turn to him, then we are given his mind. And that means that all believers have the mind of Christ. And that means simply that you can understand God's plan for the world. You can understand God's purpose for your life. And it means that it will drive the priority of your life. And I want to caution you here because priorities lead to decisions and decisions have consequences. If you set the wrong priorities, you're going to make some wrong decisions. And if you make some wrong decisions, you're going to experience some negative consequences. But if you set your priority in the right direction, focused on the mind of Christ, and your goals and the direction of your life is then set according to that, then you can make good decisions, and those good decisions can have good consequences. The Bible teacher Woodrow Kroll said, everything begins with the right priorities, and right priorities begin with God. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul follows with the importance of the priority of building your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Every builder in the physical realm knows the importance of a sturdy foundation. We know also the consequences of a foundation that is not sturdy and is not well built. But here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11 to 13. He said, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Does this sound familiar? Paul's not changing gears here. Paul's not changing emphasis here. He said, listen, church at Corinth, I've only got one thing that I want to share with you, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he comes right back in chapter 3, and he says, hey, church, I told you that I only have one thing that I want to share with you, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And oh, by the way, he is the only foundation. That's it. If you want to build your life on something solid, then build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to teach on what happens according to how we build. And he says this in verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. And it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Our lives need a rock-solid foundation with the priority of Christ. Jesus is the secure foundation that we build on as the priority. 
And if you build your life on the foundation of Jesus, then the reality of Jesus will provide for you the stability that you need. Now, the reference here to gold, silver, and precious stones is similar to the building materials that were used in the construction of the temple. Precious stones were things that were valuable, including even stone materials like marble and granite that would have been used, or things that we might build with today that are of quality. And ultimately, God will test our work, and what kind of work it is will be revealed. Now, please note here in 1 Corinthians 3 that Paul is referencing the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ. And that means that if you ever make it to the judgment seat of Christ, if you're appearing at the judgment seat of Christ, that means that you've been born again by the blood of the Lamb. That means that you have been saved by grace through faith. That means that the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to your life. And the only reason you're standing there to begin with is because you have been forgiven in Jesus. So what is at stake here is not your salvation. Your sins will not be judged because your sins have been judged at the cross. But your service will be judged. And your service will be judged according to eternal rewards. And this does not determine the destiny of the worker, but it does, in fact, reveal the quality of the workmanship. Jesus always had the will of God the Father as his first priority. He built his life and his earthly ministry around that. Jesus should be our first priority, and we should build our lives and our ministries around that. And be certain that we're building not with things that will go away, but with things that will be revealed as quality workmanship eternally and will be blessed accordingly. So what I say to you today is that your life priority ought to be consistent with the priority of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, the scripture says, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Let me translate that for you. Jesus died for us. And if Jesus died for us, is it not fitting that we would live for him? Does it not follow that if Jesus died for us, that our faith is more than about just assenting to some facts in our heads, but it's also guiding and directing our hearts and our hands for the glory of God. And sadly, there are a lot of people who profess faith in Jesus, and yet they live the same as people who don't profess faith in Jesus. And only the Holy Spirit knows the sincerity of your faith. Only the Holy Spirit knows if the Spirit of God indwells you. Only the Holy Spirit knows whether or not you're saved. But what I would encourage you in is that if your life is no different than the rest of the world, there's an inconsistency. Something's missing. Either you've never truly been born again, or you're living in a way that is hypocritical to the faith that Jesus has called you to. And, and I want you to know there's a better way. The way of God's blessing, rather than the way of confusion. And you know what else? Every day is a new day with the Lord. Every day is a new beginning in grace. And sometimes people get bogged down by their past and they say, well, all this stuff that I've done in my past, it's, it's weighed me down and, and I can't really be all that useful for God, so I'm just going to keep on going on like I have been. 
and they let that stuff entangle them and discourage them and keep them from moving forward in the grace of God. And God is saying, that's not how I intend it to be. Every day is a new beginning. And wherever you are right now in your life, you might be replaying some things that have happened in your past, some decisions that you've made in your past, some steps that you've taken that were unwise, some priorities that you set that weren't good, that didn't honor God. You can ask the Lord to forgive you of all of that that is related to your own sin and and the direction that you might have taken. And in an instant, God will forgive you and he will set you on that solid ground and he will lead you to a new priority and direction in your life. Isn't God good with his grace? Isn't it a blessing that we can say that the grace that God saves us with is the same grace that he leads us with? And our minds are a key part of this because they help us to focus on the right priority. Even though our brains are a very small percentage of our uh, body's weight, relatively speaking, they control everything in us, physically speaking. But there's a spiritual parallel that our spiritual minds also control and direct everything about us. And that correlation tells us that if we don't have the mind of Christ, it can bring all kinds of chaos into our lives because we prioritize the wrong things. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to ask the Lord in your own time before him this week to truly evaluate and help you see clearly, number one, what your pursuit is in life. Like really, what are you going after? What do you care about? What are things that matter to you? What direction are you headed in? What are you pursuing? And the Lord, the Spirit of God will help you know that. And then ask him, Lord, what are my true priorities? What is really important to me that I set as the priority? And the Lord will help you to know what that is. Because if you want to be like Jesus, your priority ought to be to live according to the mind of Christ. And now I come to question number three. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? In 2 Corinthians 3, um, Paul references Moses. And you remember Moses after he was up on the mountain in uh, Exodus 34. And he experienced the glory of God that he had to put a veil over his face because he had been in the presence of God. And the veil was to uh, cover the reflection of God's glory because the people couldn't stand what they would have experienced. The children of God couldn't look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But there's a little phrase in there, and there's this idea of the end of what was passing away. And if we're just reading along, we might skip over that or not think about the significance of it. But what was the end of what was passing away? It was the old covenant. That's what it was. And the old covenant is contrasted with the enduring glory of the new covenant. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17 and verse 18 says. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. When you turn to the Lord in faith, the veil is taken away. And you have the liberty of access in a relationship with God. And as believers, we can see the glory of the Lord 
but we can't see it perfectly just yet. We can't experience the glory of the Lord fully just yet. And a mirror in those ancient times would not have had the clarity that a mirror has today. Ancient mirrors were made of polished metal and they gave sort of a a fuzzy limited image. But we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now don't miss this point because what he's saying is the culmination of your salvation is transformation. That's what God's doing in your life. And if you limit your Christian faith to a transactional moment, and that's all you ever see it as, you've missed the purpose of life with God. If you think about it's only that moment when I prayed and I asked God to forgive me and I was saved and that was it, you've truncated the whole process. You've missed out on the glory of the Lord. And when God saves us, he's saving us so that he can make us like his son. And that church is what discipleship is all about. That's the reason for it. And that's why we push back so hard against consumer Christianity that says, hey, I'll go to church on Sunday if I can fit it in my schedule and I don't have anything better to do or more important to do. And I'll go for that time or two a month and then I'll feel pretty good about myself spiritually the rest of the month. I may or may not open the Bible to to read it. I I may or may not pray daily. I may or may not exercise faith, but, but, I'm, but I'm safe. I'm good. I've got my fire insurance. And that's the only thought you give of God and to God. I say that not to discourage you. I say that to challenge you and to say, friend, there is much more. There's much more. There's a whole life of faith over here to be experienced with God. And that's his purpose for your life is to transform you into the same image as Jesus from glory to glory. God is changing our lives and the work of transformation is a continual progression from glory to glory. And it's the spirit of the Lord who is transforming us to be like Jesus. So this is not a try hard to do better kind of a message. This is about what has already been done for you and you living in light of what God has already done for you. It's not as though God saves you by grace and then says, hey, you got to work hard and do the best you can now. No, that's not what he says. He saves us by grace and he says, step here into the glory. Step into the presence of my spirit. Focus on my son. Make sure that your pursuit and your priorities are in the right direction. And if your pursuit and your priorities are in the right direction, then you can begin to live your purpose. And your role then is to surrender. It's to surrender. To surrender to what God has for you. And he'll do the work in you just as he did the work in you when you got saved. And he'll transform you in a progression from glory to glory. By way of illustration, a few years ago, there was an endurance athlete by the name of Colin O'Brady who took a walk that at that time had never been taken before. Pulling a supply sled behind him, this endurance athlete trekked across Antarctica entirely alone, 932 miles in 54 days. It was a momentous journey of dedication and courage. They interviewed him and they asked him about his time alone on the ice and in the cold and with the daunting distance. And here's what he said in part. He said, I was locked in a deep flow, fully immersed in the endeavor the entire time, equally focused on the end goal, 
while allowing my mind to recount the profound lessons of this journey. Now, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, perhaps those words might resonate with us about the journey that we've been on with Christ and that we are pressing on in now until we ultimately see Jesus face to face to be fully immersed in our faith to be focused on the end goal to allow our minds to recount the goodness of God at those markers along the way and to be able to say through it all God is faithful and God is good he can be trusted we are being transformed if we're in Christ into the image of Christ and someday when we see him face to face we will be glorified and we will be just like him let me tell you the practical impact that this life of faith has when we're given the righteousness of Jesus through repentance and faith God sees us as he sees his only son and he blesses us with his spirit he directs us and encourages us with his word and our lives are at peace not a peace that's dependent on everything going around on around us but we're at peace regardless of what's going on around us and it makes a difference in our relationships in our homes in our vocations in the way we interact with the world it is a comprehensive life of faith church it is not product to be consumed it's not a little bit of time that we give God here and there when it works out with the rest of our schedule it's a life to be lived and God's inviting you into that life every one of us and that makes a profound difference in us individually and then collectively as the body of Christ if you want to be like Jesus, your purpose is to be transformed from glory to glory into his image. And I give you this statement, and I'm going to come toward a close. If you want to be like Jesus, casual, convenient, consumer Christianity won't make it a reality in your life. A sincere commitment to know Jesus and to become like him is essential. That spiritual formation it takes place through biblical discipleship to make us just like Jesus. Father, we thank you this day that we can gather here and exalt your name, learn from your word, focus on your son, and we're thankful. Thank you for this life you've called us to as your children. I pray that every believer here would understand the foundation that is under them spiritually in their lives in Jesus. I pray that as we surrender to you that we would be filled with your spirit. 
that as Tozer spoke of, that we would have a, a hunger and a desire to pursue you even as we are being pursued. I pray for this church, Lord. We, we don't want to be one of those statistics of churches that lose their focus and get their minds going in the wrong direction and lose their effectiveness as a result of it. We want to be a body of believers who are humbly submitted to Christ, who have a hunger for the Word and the Spirit, who are unified together with our eyes on Jesus, and who are living according to the purpose you've called us to. That's what we want to be, Lord. Would you help us? Would you make that so? And even in that, Father, I pray, pray that you would bring a, a stirring and a renewal to our midst that there would be a, a renewed sense of vibrancy in our faith. We would pray even, Lord, for revival in our midst so that people would be drawn to Christ and that we would grow closer to him. Father, I pray for any who are here or who are listening to this message who perhaps don't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. I thank you that salvation is a gift to be received. And if there's anyone who's never taken that step of faith to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus, the Savior, I pray that today would be the day. I pray they'd step into the life, Lord, that you offer through the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. And God, through it all, help us to keep our focus on you and to know that you are able. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.